welcome once again to the Live Love Local podcast with me, your host, Darren Langill. Today's guest is one of the co-founders of a local Calgary company that I'm sure almost all of you are aware of or have likely tasted, and if you're like me, have in your fridge right now. Uh, today's guest is Connor Farrell of True Bush Kombucha. Uh, Connor and his wife started up True Bush back in 2014 and have been on a steady climb ever since. One of their recent honors was making the list of top 50 top new growth companies, along with being named finalist in three different categories in the Calgary Chamber Small Business Calgary Awards, ATB's Small Business of the Year, so Social Entrepreneurship Award, and the KPMG's uh, People's Choice Award. So a nice selection. Uh, Connor and his wife, Louisa, come both with a background in accounting and business, and since being avid home kombucha brewers they decided to turn their attention to doing it full-time and they share their creation with now the masses and we're very thankful for it i know our guts are for sure uh Trubush not only makes small batch kombucha but does it in a very low environment uh, environmental impact way and focuses on also supporting small business as well very much why i felt the connection and wanted to reach out to con conrad I could go on, I could go on, but it's time to now introduce Conrad to the show. So Conrad, welcome. Hello, Darren. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for taking the time because I know running a small business, we have we wear a lot of hats. There's a lot of things, things going on and time isn't always the thing we have much of. So yes, thank you. Now, in my introduction, I try to do my research. Uh, I always end up doing something wrong or missing something important. Uh, anything that can that stands out about that? that you no, that, kinda... that, that just about sums it up. I mean, my wife and I started this business over six years ago, um, and we always wanted to do something that was health-related, uh, that gave back to the community and was more of a, originally, it's going to be a social enterprise and kind of a a business that would give us a lifestyle that we could live where we could ski four or five days a week and, you know, kind of do it on the simple things. We came from a very fast paced life of working at uh, large accounting firms, CFOs of companies. Um, and we wanted to kind of take a step back and, 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 and re reconfigure our lifestyle. And that's where true booch came about. Um, when we started though, it ended up being successful too quickly and 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 I'm no, no complaints here but we didn't, ended up not having the time to ski four or five days a week it was back down to the original weekend warrior type thing yeah but um it's been a wild ride so my wife and I we started it we went from a shared kitchen in Cochrane brewing out of uh 200 liter tanks to now we've got a massive 10,000 square foot facility here in Calgary um this is our third facility um and we're trying to do a whole national push for Tribuch going all the way to Quebec at some point here in 2021. Wow. Yeah, that's so was I right in 2014 was the initial startup? Is that when the name became and that's when you were operating the business? Yep. We uh yeah, we we did a road trip down to Phoenix to um clear our heads. And we during that trip down there, my wife and I decided that we wanted to start Tribuch. And so we inceptualized it on the drive, came up with a name. Did all these things we had a lot of time to chat so um that's where it kind of started and then come november of 2014 i believe it was was when we sold our first keg and it just kind of went wildfire after that 
Very cool. My, uh, some of those road trips, uh, they're kind of like make it or break it on an idea or even a couple. <laughs> I know <laughs> my wife and I did that early on and uh, it was going to be a make it or break it because you just never know. Um, but uh, it sounds like you guys really let the minds go and, and get let the creativity fly and made some big decisions. Yeah, it's been great. Like my wife and I, we spend a lot of time together. We, we met we met at work. We drove to work. We commuted to work. We came home from work. We owned a business together. We run a business together. Um, we traveled for the quality equivalent of 24 months together. Um, just the two of us traveling the world back in our early 30s or whatever. And um, late 20s. So we spend a lot of time together. We're not we're not adverse to it, I guess. Amazing. So, I mean, that accounting and corporate business background, I mean, so is your background like from a business degree? I mean, can you talk, tell me about you and Louisa and what the, what the true background is that got you into that? In the yeah, corporate so life? Uh, the, cor the corporate life, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. My dad's an entrepreneur um, and he's a chartered accountant by trade as well. So I knew I'd probably always end up that way. That's kind of how I'm bred and that's how my brain works to, to always think differently and kind of work for yourself. So um, I, I saw the value in that when I was younger that, you know, an accounting degree, which I got an accounting degree from university and then went on to do my CA, my chartered accountancy. Um, I saw that as kind of an applied MBA and, and it was, I just took that course instead of if my dad took an MBA, I probably would have taken an MBA just because I saw the value in what, what, what it did, did for him and the success he had in his um, career. So um, did the accounting thing was at a large, one of the top four accounting firms here in Calgary for a long, long time, decided that I wanted to travel and see the world. So my wife and I went and we took a year off and went traveling the world. Um, and we both quit and didn't know what we we're going to do. And, you know, came back and, and kind of cleared our heads and we both went into similar positions, but different industries. And that was something that, you know, it was something that needed at the time where obviously hadn't worked for over, over a year, needed some cash and realized that that wasn't really where we wanted to be. We wanted to try to do something that was more in line with our lifestyle. We're not, we're not a fast paced type of people. We don't want to work that 12 hour days, seven days a week. We, we wanted to do something differently that was on our own terms. Um, don't get me wrong. As an entrepreneur, you're working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So that's kind of a naive thinking that, you know, um, when you start your own business that you're just going to be skiing four days a week or sitting on the beach. It's, it's not that it's, it was a very uh, grassroots initiative that we did. You know, we, we started off in this kitchen in Cochrane and what we wanted to do was create a environment, a, a limited environmental impact business. And so kombucha, at that time, there is only a select amount of kombucha brands on the shelf, mainly American ones that were only in bottles. And um, the reason I was into kombucha and the reason I was brewing it was because I have a lot of health issues when it comes to gut, gut flora. I have a leaky gut syndrome. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. So I've gone down this whole path of trying to fix that and, and that's really been massively beneficial to my life just from everything from a mental focus to a physical um, health and so I've been brewing this kombucha for about 10 years I think I started before we even went on our travels and so when 
even when we were traveling, I was thinking about doing a business based around kombucha and, and gut health. Um, I don't think Calgary or even Canada for that matter was totally ready for it. In hindsight, they would have been, but um, at that time it seemed like a risky venture. So what I did was went obviously went back into industry. Um, when that position ended and we sold that company, it was ripe time for me to sit back and say, what can we do that matches our goals as a family? and matches what we want to do as entrepreneurs in this world and what we want to give back to the community that um, has supported us. And I'm born and raised Calgary. So what happened was, long story short, we just decided that we didn't want to do single-use glass and or single-use containers, let's call it, bottles, cans, whatever. We wanted to do a, a refill program. And my original idea was to be the, it'd be like a milk, you know, the old old school milk guys would go around to your house and they'd pick up the old the empty glass and drop off a new one. Um, and then we knew that wasn't going to be self-sustainable either. So, so we went to the draft scenario and we did uh, just like how all the breweries have the refill growlers. We said, you know, let's do, let's do these kegerator machines, put them in retailers, put them in coffee shops, households, whatever, and try to reduce our environmental impact. And I think today, I can't remember the numbers, but we're almost coming to almost a million bottles kept out of the landfills um, just through that program. Um, that was a really great spot to start off and launch the company. Um, it got a lot of uh, a lot of support because it was a product, kombucha was a product that was wanted and needed by the masses, or I mean, at least a, a niche, a niche part of the community and there was only a select few brands right so everybody's kind of dialing into that local standpoint and then as we progress through the years um and we'll probably get there is that we ended up not just doing draft but we end up we're having our single use glass bottles as well and that's that was just a transition of a company growing and trying to sustain ourselves and trying to meet customer demand while also trying to meet the goals of our family and of the business of being less less environmental or bet more environmentally friendly. And so what we've done is just done other initiatives to kind of offset that that footprint um, by planting trees, doing uh, carbon offsets, you name it. We've kind of we've kind of trying to navigate that world and try to make things kind of neutral, if that makes sense. Yeah, I've got I got some questions for you down the down the interview about that for sure. So when you went back into industry after leaving one of the big four, um, that 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 left like the, the the firms and you went into real industry. Is that right? Like into private? Correct. Correct. Gotcha. And then did you then both jump at the same time into this at the same, you know, both quit again? Cause you did that quitting and took the one year off and then you went back, make a few bucks bank up a few, few, uh, no, few shackles, right? Coincidentally, my wife, so we met at KPMG. Um, it's a, one of the big four accounting firms. And um, uh, coincidentally, uh, my wife left KPMG. We went on her traveling. And then when we came back, she ended up getting an offer to work at KPMG again. So she hasn't really left that company, um, if you want to call it that, and I'll get back to that later. But um, so when we started in, let's say, October, November, first sale of basically November 2014, I convinced Louisa to quit KPMG and come full time and run this business with me in around March of 2015. So she ended up quitting KPMG again. Um, and 
side note, she ended up just, she ended up getting a job back there, uh, start of January of 2021. <laughs> so she, she's, uh, she's gone and back and forth through KPMG three times now, and she, she loves it. She bleeds blue. Um, it's kind of a running joke around the family, but it's, uh, it's the first job, major job she had, and she, she really likes the community and the people there. So. Yeah, I know a lot of people through that world. My wife's a CA as well, so I can understand that. Um, and uh, it's, yeah, it's not an easy gig, but uh, I mean, leaving the corporate world, I was thinking about this, considering leaving that and then going into like, let's go sell a whole bunch of three to $4 bottles of a niche product that is kind of like, it's kind of in the underbelly. It's not fully mainstream. You mean that from an accountant, right? Cause you think of people think of a typical accountant. That's not what they would think of be their next venture. Um, how did you make that idea as a good career path? Cause I mean, that's, that's, that's an interesting leap, right? Um, I'm not a typical accountant, I guess. Um, nor is my wife. She doesn't actually work in the accounting side of things. She works in more the HR and, and that side of things at KPMG now. So um, my brain doesn't work that way. I'm I'm very numbers analytical side, but I'm very on the creative side too. So I have this like um, very juxtaposition battle going on on a daily basis and moving from what you want to call a stability of an accounting job, let's call it, right? It's quite a st stable, um, boring, if you want to ask me, it, it's it's boring as all hell. Like I can't handle that stuff. So um, it works base. It works great to have a base to understand the numbers and to understand how to run a business and, and how you're going to see past just the, the dream, right? You want to kind of put numbers down on paper and understand where things could go and where, where you need to focus your energy from a number standpoint, because really businesses are only as good as their bottom line sometimes. And I mean, we're not in the business of just making money. We're in the business of all kinds of things. But if you can't be even net neutral to cover your costs, then how do you run a business on a long term? So um, it was a great base, but my brain just doesn't work that way. My brain is always looking for ideas, changing the norms, um, thinking creatively and thinking outside the box. So it was a big leap, don't get me wrong, to go from a stable job to stable jobs to zero income for three years between the two of us. Like our household didn't make a dime for two to three years. Um, and it just worked. I mean, we figured out how to set up our lives so that we could actually manage that. Um, and I'm, we we're very fortunate to do so. So that kind of gave us the ability to actually kind of jump two feet in and, and take this head on, right? Most people don't have that opportunity. So I realized that, um, but at the end of the day, it's something we wanted to try and I figured if I don't try it now, we didn't have kids at the time, this is the time I'm going to try it. This is the time I'm going to kind of give it my all and if it fails, it fails. We go on and I can I can rely on my accounting degree, I guess, to go back to the boring world of auditing and accounting, right? Yeah, I mean, I, my background is engineering, so I kind of have that same mindset, right? Now, I mean, now, now I'm focused so much marketing, and it's it's a funny change, but uh, but yeah, it, I think there's something to be said though about having that background, that foundation and the ability with to have the creativity to pull off the dream because there's a lot of big dreamers out there but from what i'm as you speak with more entrepreneurs they wish they had the uh the foundation to control some of that because you can go too far down a dream path without those those the you know the checks and balances that i think are built into you and louisa which is which is nice probably lend itself to maybe a little bit more success early because you managed a bit of the money 
rather than an afterthought, which a lot of entrepreneurs go down. Correct. I was I was very di diligent on what the numbers were looking at, what it's costing me, what my margins are, um, and that just really helped in the long run. And and really, at the end of the day, we saw that like you, you mentioned that you know there's the big dreamers. You have a dream, you have an idea, and you want to go for it. And and by all means, go for it. But also, I recommend entrepreneurs out there is to have that base or at least somebody that can support you to help you run through the numbers and help you understand, am I, am I focusing on the right product line? Am I focusing on the right price points? All these things, right? And through our, you know, grassroots initiative, like I said, we started off on a Hiller Sunnyside farmer's market selling, selling, selling at the farmer's market, our draft program. And then through there, we ended up at Market Collective. And Market Collective is obviously that wicked collective of local entrepreneurs, craftsmen, all kinds of stuff, right? And through that, we met so many local companies and, and friends and micro entrepreneurs, macro entrepreneurs that, that had amazing products, but they just didn't have the knowledge that me and Louisa took for granted of that accounting background and that business background. So what we did was we, we'd have all these people coming to us asking us questions and, and Louisa's like, well, I should start an incubator up um, for these grassroots people just like us and kind of give back to the community. So Louise and I started True Incubator. Um, I can't remember when the first cohort was, but it was women's focused. Um, and that wasn't, that was kind of by default actually, because a lot of the, a lot of people at Market Collective were, were very, were women driven creative um, products, right? And so what she did, she was the head of it. I, I, I was a mentor in it, but she headed the whole thing, organized, friends that were lawyers, engineers, accountants, um, tax professionals, you name it, marketing professionals to every week, there'd be a new speaker and they were volunteering their time. Um, and then the, the class, class participants were able to get like a, a, a crash course on just general base fundamentals of what a business should look like. And so even running through, you know, some of these, um, some of these entrepreneurs, it was like, they're, they're running down their numbers. It's like, well, you're actually losing money on this item based on your hours, not even, in, not even taking into your hours to make it or build it or whatever it is, right? Just on pure materials. And they, they sit back and they're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe how much I'm like leaving on the table. I should sell this for $50, not 35 or, or, or maybe it's not even profitable to even make that product. And so it was, it was quite awesome to watch something that we take for granted. I come from a business background household. Um, I've through my entire career hung out with these educated business like-minded people, right? That, that that's a, an automatic thing to us that we take for granted. And so giving back and giving that knowledge to somebody else so that they can go and create their business better was awesome. And so Louisa did about two cohorts of that. And then recently we were going to do another one and then she ended up getting a job offer from KPMG. And so she, she decided to take that job. Um, and, and that's just the way it is. <laughs>
That's neat. I had no idea. And that, that, that's something that's a, that's a kind of a mini dream I've had. Cause you do see, I mean, even with my own realtors and stuff that we're trying to coach up and they're all individual, ind uh, individual business owners and they, they have to manage marketing they have to manage costs. They have to manage all of the administration. And it's kind of, I mean, it, it, it takes a lot to be able to put it all together. And, I, and that's a really neat initiative. So it was called true incubator right now it's on pause. Cause your wife's yeah. of course back. It's, it's on pause. Uh, I mean, she, she's the one that ran that she's she's really the business development um i always say that excuse me that true booch wouldn't exist with odor um i'm the numbers guy i'm i'm the numbers guy and the creative person to make it all work from an operational standpoint and all that she's really the relationship building piece that she just created such a great community that was focused around true booch and then us to be able to support that community too and it was just it, it benefited both parties. Um, that's really her niche. And so I hope that one day she brings back the incubator. I know she had a lot of um, inquiry into it recently, but it's just, it was a lot of time and volunteer time. Like there was no money to be made. It was purely volunteer, right? And so um, in a pandemic, when things aren't looking so good, sometimes you got to hedge your bets. And so we, we ended up doing it a little bit differently and, and had to focus on what was the best for our family and understand that eventually we can give back. It's just, you know, the pandemic has completely changed mindsets, right? Where, you know, you always had this security, even like true booch, like some days I sit back and say, well, you know, we, we want to succeed for the next 10, 20 years, but is this pandemic going to make us close our doors and then we don't have anything to fall back on and, and keep the house going, right? So um, that's just kind of our internal thing that's going on. Um, I'm sure a million households are doing the same thing every day. Trying yeah, to tell me about that them. a little bit. Um, expand, expand on that. I was going to ask you about like, as a company, how have you had to stomach the changes thrown at us from the pandemic? You guys are in retail. You guys have these, you know, the, the, like you said, the tap setups. I mean, what has the pandemic done to your business and any pivots you've had to make or has it, I mean, I mean, grocery stores have remained open, um, but restaurants have been off and on. So, I mean, maybe walk me through that quickly. Yeah, the, the sad story about the pandemic for Trubuch and for the environment is that anything that was not packaged, so bulk bins, um, refill stations, beer, well, beer, beer is kind of the exception. They fall outside of that, but kombucha or anything that was using your own package or a reused package got wiped out, right? So 98% of our keg systems are not running. So that was about 40% of our revenue just wiped out instantly. And we haven't had that. And we don't expect that to come back until, whew, well, we wanted to come back in the summer, but you never know what the health authorities want to do with that, right? If it will ever come back. So, so that was one big hit where we lost, instantly lost 40% of our revenue. Um, and then on the retail side, Everybody was, everybody was and kind of is still focusing on the staples, right? The breads, the meats, the, 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 everything on kind of the outskirts and then everything to just survive and not knowing what the future holds. So they're not going to sit there and risk a, risk a $4, not risk, let's not call it risk, but spend $4 on a kombucha. That's a nice to have, uh, and it's, it's, it should be part of everybody's diet, but it's hard to convince people of that, right? So sometimes that's a treat. So if you're only going to the grocery store and you're buying for the whole family, you're not going to just treat yourself and not treat the whole family. But that's kind of where sales have been stagnant and down. So we 
we lost out on a draft. Sales aren't increasing. They're kind of staying flat on the retail side, even though grocery stores obviously are busier than ever. And then obviously right. we had a lot of grab and go um, on the on the coffee shops, restaurants kind of style. And downtown, we're we're massive downtown, and with nobody working downtown, there's a lack of sales as well. So, long story short, we're we're down. But how we transitioned was in in March when this was all kind of going. We set up our online store, and so mm. right now we do five days a week online delivery, direct to door selling cases of kombucha, and really the, what we've discovered is how many actual true fans quote unquote hashtag true fans we have out there is like it amazed me we, we we thought we were gonna launch the store and we're like oh yeah like we'll get like maybe five orders a week we got five orders in the first 10 minutes and so that's when we said okay there's a this is where this is where your community efforts kind of come back and help you right where the community that created you is now supporting you and then we have to give back and so that's kind of a, this circle it's like if, if you support me and this is how all entrepreneurs i think should kind of think about it at least locally is is your customers are supporting you so that you can give back to the community and they see you giving back to the community they'll continue to support you and that's kind of this this circle that we're we're happy to be part of because we didn't realize that was going to be the end goal we just wanted to create a social enterprise that made in a little bit of money to support the family, but also get back to the community that supports us. Right. Yeah. And so now we have 200 and something plus subscribers that order a case either a week, bi-weekly or monthly. So though like our true fans we're delivering to them every day. Um, and they're always happy. They're always just like, I can't believe you guys are dropping this off my door with no shipping fees, nothing like we're happy to do it. And, and it was, it's just very humbling when you see the sales dropping on one end, but then this online side just explodes, right? And we can't even keep up. During the first month or two of the pandemic, all we had one driver doing five days a week, eight hours a day. And then we have, I have two other partners here. Um, three, three of us partners here running around four to five days a week for at least four hours a day, every day for two months. It was bananas. Um, that slowed down. And I think that's just because people were thinking the pandemic was going to end quickly and they wanted to support local as quickly and as fast as they can. Don't get me wrong. Everybody's supporting local. It's just not as in fast and as furious as it was at the beginning of March. Yeah, we've seen a shift like my wife and order through and I, we order all of our stuff through Spud often and Blush. And uh and we saw a big delay on able to get our stuff and we had to book way early and then it started to now it's I'm getting the shipments earlier than ever because uh, people are going back maybe to the retail a little bit more or a little more comfort with it and or not stockpiling. We've noticed that change. Um, and it kind of makes me a bit sad because I'm thinking, oh, I wish there was still this much demand going. But. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting time. Like we're, we're buddies with Spud and we're listed with Spud, obviously. and. And we're actually doing, we did an initiative here in Calgary and Alberta, and we're just doing one in Vancouver where as, as a product like kombucha, where we can't actually get it into, it's not very known. Like I always say 80% of the population has no idea what kombucha is. Right. And so how do I convince that to be potential consumer to 
grab a four, three, four dollar bottle off the shelf without even understanding what it is. Well, the only way we do that is through sampling. And so we lost all the ability to sample. Not nobody is allowed to sample products. Like if you go through even through Costco, they're not sampling, they're just putting the bag up the front and, right. and showing you what product is available, but they're you're not even allowed to they're not even allowed to give you a piece of chocolate or whatever they're whatever they're sampling at the time, right? So so we have no ability to gain new customers that easily because there's just nobody sampling kombucha. And the only way you can actually get them to want to buy it or to, to consider buying it is to put it in their mouths and say, oh shit, that's that's actually a really good product and it's really good for you. It's low in sugar, it has full pack full of enzymes, probiotics, amino acids, right? Like everything's everything there is what humans need and want and crave for. It's just selling them on it. So what we did with Spud was we just gave them thousands and thousands of bottles just to give to every customer for free. Mm. And that was the only way we could do it. And we're doing one in Vancouver right now. It was 10,000 bottles we're giving away for free to, to get it into consumers' hands, to make sure they understand what kombucha is. And hopefully if they understand it and they like it, they buy it again. And we've just had to kind of navigate this new pandemic world where in the CPG world, the consumer packaged goods world is, is based around branding and marketing and sampling, right? And I mean, it's hard to do the branding and, and the marketing without a big budget, which we don't have. And so how do we do it? We have to do a grassroots sampling. And if we can't do sampling, then we have to spend our money somewhere else. And that's kind of how we we did it. And, and Spud's been a great partner in that, helping us did, get bottles into customers' hands. Is that, is that, so that's fair to say, I mean, is it, Cash flow is everything in a small business, right? It's just, I mean, not everything, but it's a huge piece of how to keep things rolling. So when you're having to now refocus and pivot and almost throw out these goodies for more of a longer term re reward, that's gotta be hard on a business, right? Cause not a lot of us have this huge nest egg sitting there that we can bank on because so many businesses are quite lean anyways, beyond paying the founders, paying the staff, there's not usually a ton left. So, I mean, that, that's got to be a juggling act within the money situation, I would assume, right? And yeah, every day, like, that's, that's, that's my job, really, as the yeah. CEO here is to manage the cash flow, uh, manage the finances, ensure that we're, you know, doing everything we can to reduce the costs by not letting our staff go. Um, and so what we did, just as a side note, is a lot of companies would have probably down, like in our situation with the amount of sales that were lost, we probably should have cut our, our, our team in half. Um, and, but instead what we did was we guaranteed them 30 hours a week. Um, they didn't work 32 hours a week. We just guaranteed them. And in some weeks they did and some weeks they didn't. We kind of work in a, in a, in this, when POs come in, purchase orders come right. in, there's sometimes more work to be done than not, but Consistently, they're getting 32 hours a week, regardless if they're working 25 or 30, whatever. And we were able to keep the staff. And our staff has been here for, I've got one employee that's basically been here. He was my second employee I ever hired, and he's still here. And my first employee only left because he uh, had to go write a book. So um, we have loyal staff. We pay them well, and we love them, and we want them to stay. We didn't want them to be stressed out during the pandemic because, you know, it's it's not fun and we we knew we knew that if we did the right things we'd be able to keep them employed so we didn't make any knee-jerk reactions we transitioned we pivoted and 
I mean, everybody's happy that we did. And I think our business will be coming out the back end of this pandemic stronger, more dedicated and, and more focused on what we need to do. Um, that's kind of the silver lining, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, I, the more people I speak to, and we're in that boat as well, where we saw that massive drop real estate sales went basically to nothing for, I mean, and I have a big staff, I have a, a high overload staff to support kind of a high service offering for which we offer. And uh, yeah, we had to go through those same decisions as well. And, and, and again, we chose the same thing as you is to keep things basically at full tilt. Uh, and we found ways to be better off as a result. Uh, but I loved hearing that you pulled that off too. Let me give a spotlight to, again, kombucha, because I, I, I mean, you mentioned leaky gut syndrome. Not many people understand it at all. That it's, it's again, it's kind of in the the hidden side of the health benefits that is, you know, you know that that whole ancestral wisdom of of stuff and health is just starting to hit. I know it's a big part of my wife and my world, but many don't understand it. So one of my questions was, can you just give the people listening, like, what the heck is kombucha and why should they consider it, especially in this world of that we're throwing just so many bad health alternatives yeah i'd love to give you a little spotlight on it yeah so kombucha is a, it's an ancient i want to call it an elixir i guess really that is just basically tea sugar and a culture a kombucha culture that is yeast and yeast and beneficial bacteria and what happens is through this same as kind of making beers you take the tea and the culture and you come and the sugar and you combine them together and what happens is kind of like sauerkraut um, kimchi, all these fermented products, right? It, it eats the sugar and it, and it ferments. And what through the fermenting proce process, it creates enzymes, amino acids, and, and, and beneficial gut bacteria and probiotics, right? And it's basically a lost art that no different than sauerkraut, kimchi, all these, even sourdough for that matter, like even during the pandemic, right? The, the natural way of how our ancestors made products, there's a reason why they did it. One was pr preservation, right? But two was also through those processes, you created these natural living product, food products. Like kimchi shouldn't be pasteurized sh sitting on the shelf, not refrigerated. If it was natural kimchi and naturally naturally fermented, it should be sitting, sitting on the shelf in the, in the fridge and have a short shelf life, right? And so what our world has gone is went from all these fermented products that were so good for our gut health, which then translates to overall health and mental health, um, was wiped out of our daily habits, our daily food habits, and replaced with all these processed foods. And processed foods, or even for that matter, uh, pasteurized foods, kills everything. And, and so there's for some reason, bacteria has this demonology. It's been demonized to be bad, and it's not. It's your 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 gut is full of so many bacteria, millions and millions of them that are doing different jobs. And kombucha is just another way of getting one one type of bacteria, but lots of them. And they're actually broad spectrum. Not all kombucha has the same bacteria, if that makes sense either, right? So. Canada's kombucha or Calgary's kombucha will be fermented differently and taste differently and have different bacteria than a kombucha made in Mon Montana or California, just based on its aerobic bacteria in the air. So, so what you're trying to do is, is get bacteria into your gut, more of them, and kombucha is just another way of doing that. 
I don't say only have kombucha, but I recommend having probiotic pills. I recommend eating kimchi. I recommend eating anything that's fermented. We've lost the art of eating fermented foods. And um, I think even in today's world, it's more important than ever with the pandemic that people need to start focusing on health. It's pretty sad when our whole government and health authority never talk about health when it comes to a pandemic. All they fucking talk about, and sort of swear on your podcast, is to shut things down and not talk to people. Well, that's great. But like, why are we not talking about getting vitamin D, getting probiotics, getting a healthier habits of food, anything that can help your immune system? Because if your immune system's not working, then yes, you are going to get COVID. More probable to get COVID, sorry, more probable to get COVID than people with a high functioning immune system. And so um, I don't know how to market that. And it's really hard for us to, we can't go buy that Super Bowl ad that tells you, hey, hey, a world, maybe we should start thinking about fermented foods and drinking more um, kombucha to help with that. Like it, it, it just isn't being talked about and it's sad. And so that's one of the reasons when we started six years ago is like, it just wasn't talked about. And, and the only reason I got into this world is because I am, I suffer from allergies since I was born. So I'm allergic to milk. I'm allergic to nuts. I'm allergic to fish. I'm allergic to gluten. Um, what else? Basically the sunshine, it seems like everything, everything affects me in some way or not another. And so when I was going through my chartered accountancy exam, I did a ton of research on how do I focus better on this exam? Cause it's a huge exam. It's four days. It's insanely large, right? Or three days. I can't even remember. It's so far away, but either way, what I found was if you cut out gluten and you fix your gut, you're at ADD. So I have an ADD kind of mentality and it's all gut related will subside and you'll be more focused. I was like, Oh, bingo. So I cut out gluten. I was gluten free 12 years ago um, before it was like the fad of all fads, yeah. right? Just so I could get through this exam. And then after the exam, I went back on the breads cause it's really hard not to, but um through that process was the kind of the linchpin of like, okay, are we going to be a family, me and Louisa, are we going to be a family that focuses on health or are we going to be a family that just focuses on money? And our family motto is health is number one for everything. So we, we eat healthy, we eat clean, we eat, we eat what we have to. And, and kombucha was just uh, one of the things that came out of it, right? Like, like I was always in, I stopped drinking beer. Um, I stopped drinking booze in general, actually, because beer start off with beer because it's gluten and all that and then I realized alcohol is just not for me it's, it doesn't work my liver can't present I have hangovers you know everything about it so with that being said it was just like this whole transition of oh I'll just make kombucha and then I started making kombucha then I started bringing it to parties and gatherings pre-covid obviously and hanging out and and then friends were like why don't you make this into a business I'm like I don't know if it's a business and then that's kind of how it all started it, it all started from the basis of how do I make myself healthier and my family healthier for the long run? Um, so that we, when not thinking that pandemic's coming, but if a pandemic did come, we would be probable, the probability would be on our side, let's call it. I love spotlighting this a little bit as well, because you're right. I mean, you can't talk, you, I mean, there's so many people that are getting canceled out there for discussing these real life kind of ancestral, right in our own, backyard opportunities to to probably get through this a little better healthier but nobody's allowed to really talk about it and of course 
I mean, our governing bodies just completely push it aside. It's, it's, it's pushed out of all internet. And I, I think I might be not knowing you that long, um, almost in that kind of subculture with you a little bit. And I wish it was more on the surface. And I'm glad even today, speaking just a little bit about it, um, just to, to open people's minds to say, maybe this is more important than that fancy uh, treat drink that I thought I was buying. There's something more to it, right? And of course, you and I could rabbit hole probably for three hours by the sounds of it, just about that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's. Um, I'm glad I'm you, I'm giving you a little bit of a voice on it. Um, I wanted to ask though, you you um, I mean the support local side uh, that, that you go. I went on your site and then I'm like, okay, what are they? What do they mean by that? And then it was like, okay, there's this organization. Then there's sustainable power. Then there's animal shelters. Then there's meals for the hungry. Then there's all these other things. I'm like, wow, these guys aren't just saying it it's like it's rooted in everything you do i mean how do you how do you pull all that off because that's a lot to manage i know because we do a little bit of it here and it's it's it seems like such a dominant part of of your company which is amazing so, i mean can you speak to that a bit it is and 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 that's where louisa and her she's got the biggest heart you could ever meet and that that's that's her bread and butter like she understands that world i'm a i'm a typical um I guess I'm a typical guy if I want to blanket every guy into that world, but let's call it a typical accounting guy. I don't, I don't think about those things. I think about the numbers and I think about this. And so when you, if, but if you, you, you sit back and you, you want to look at it from like a, a, a mile high view and you're like, well, we only exist because the community is buying your product. Like that is the only reason any, any business exists. Right. And so when I'm putting my dollars to work, me personally, I want to know that that company is looking out for my community and looking out for the better good of the world. Right. And so that is what we try to do. And that's what we established very early is me and Louisa talking about that business while even driving down to Phoenix when it was incubated was what are we going to do? Like, I don't want to do, I just don't want to make a business to make money. And then that's it. Like it, it has to be beyond that. And so we kind of came up with three pillars, right? We love children, obviously, who doesn't we love animals i don't know who doesn't and we love the earth so like i'm just looking at our website now um we have all these initiatives and one of my favorite ones is i'm a sucker for animals and dogs specifically um so arcs right like every year we we support an, a, a, an arcs rescue that has a massive surgery so uh last year i can't remember the name's name of the dog i can't remember but either way we tried to you know spend a few thousand dollars on you know fixing a leg or a hip or whatever that instead of the dog being put down and that can go to a family that has kids and, and make that family joyous, make that like, it's just all these things that are dear to our hearts, right? That we have the ability to, we have the funds that are coming in through TrueBooch to support these organizations. It's like, why not do it? Um, and that's one thing we don't maybe market enough. And we, we've been talking to a lot of um, retailers, like anybody that is looking to buy TrueBooch and we just talk about the brand. They're like, how come you don't, talk about these things it's like well i don't want to be showboaty about it it's just how businesses should be run like right like we shouldn't have to uh i don't know virtue signal or yeah i don't i don't know like we shouldn't have to do that i think every company should do it i mean i hope that people buy us because we're a good brand and we're a good product and then support us long term because of our initiatives as well i don't want it to be the other way around i don't want our product to be like not very good 
the brand sucks, but you know, these guys are pretty good in the, in the community. So I'll just buy them. And, and because I feel bad for them, it's like, I want all of it to be positive and I want it all to, to happen above, above surface, above ground and, and be open and honest, I guess, with the community that supported us. I think that's a bit of a circle in itself too, right? I mean, none of us want to put out a bad product or a bad service. um, And none of us want to use a community effort to garner more sales. But it's funny when someone's got this true authenticity to their business and how they act, it comes through in a better product or service, right? And then that cycle continues, but none of us want to put it on a pedestal because you're like, you're like, I don't want to use it as a sales piece but I want it to come across real, right? And yeah, my story. Like, it feels dirty sometimes when you're doing it on, on a, in a on non-authentic way. And the odd, like, it's hard to do it authentic, even though you are being authentic about it. It's hard to portray that you're, you are doing these initiatives because you, you want to, not because you believe that's what the consumer wants to hear. You want to do it because you as a company, you and as an organization, you as a human want that to be your ultimate um give back to community right so i mean it's a it's a tough balance like sometimes you sit back and you're like well i feel like these guys are over here just doing it because they know that that looks good on paper but do they actually care for that organization do they actually care that their dollars are going to the community or are they just doing it because it's good pr right it's tough for sure it is tough. It's tough, especially because we're judged, right? We're we're judged, and it's in, in the social world we're in. It's it's not hard to to throw stones, especially at headlines and things like that. And I know we we struggle with it, and and I help try to coach the people I end up talking to as well around it, because the moment you throw like what I've got here now, a camera in front of you, and you're showcasing it, now you've got somebody with manpower putting energy to capture a moment that you're trying to do authentic thought authentically. And then if you push it to the world, you might be looked upon as doing it from a PR perspective, but yet it's, I just want to show the world this incredible story, right? Mm-hmm. And if, if, if we kind of trusted that a bit more, I think you'd see these stories come out a bit more. But from your brand, it's really easy to see that there's nothing but beautiful stories out there. And I just, I, I loved to see the depth to which you guys explore. So th- good on you for that, because I know running a small business, a growing business, and then of course, as we talked, a shifting business uh, constantly is not easy. So when you have these other layers as business people, like you said at the beginning, you wanted some freedom when we start these businesses, but really we're working 12 hours a day, seven days a week, yeah. often anyways, to pull it off. So, um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's I worth thought, it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. worth it. I, uh, some days not so much, but 99%. Now I know we're, we're getting close to, 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 I mean, I could go down a hundred different questions because your story is so oh, good. We can, interesting. We can continue on for another 15 <laughs> and minutes. Sorry. So. Um, one of the questions I had for you was around like, where are you guys truly selling? Like I know you as a local Calgary company, I have been purchasing your product and experiencing it from the inner city to the suburbs and on. So how far, how far reaching do you guys go now? Um, we're a little bit in the prairies, obviously in Manitoba, Saskatchewan. We just don't have a distribution channel in there. That's that large. Um, but we're in BC and Alberta a little bit in Ontario, a little bit in the prairies, and that's about it. Um, Alberta and Calgary are our bread and butter. I mean, we are, I don't, uh, humbly I say this, I think I'm right. We are Alberta's brand. 
Um, there is a lot more competition. There's just kombucha has popped up everywhere. And so when we started the company, we were the first and the largest in Western Canada to be doing draft. Uh, we were one of the first in Western Canada to even be doing kombucha for that, that matter. Um, and we took it on a very slow trajectory. So right now we're trying to ramp those sales and, and do it in a very systematic way where we're not getting too ahead of ourselves. Like we always ran under the um, over under promise over deliver kind of scenario where I know a lot of people in the consumer packaged goods area run on the opposite, right? They, they, they run on all, I'll, I'll give you the world, but then they just under deliver, right? Like they either run out of capacity or the product's not as good or whatever happens. Right. And so one of the reasons retailers love us, the blush lanes of the world and the spuds of the world is that we've never not met their requirements. We've never, we've never shorted an order. We've never done anything. If you need it, we know we have it. And we always want to run that way where we're not selling a product. We're not selling goods out the door that we know we can't even produce. Right. Um, and it's very easy to do. And it was very easy in the first three years where I couldn't even, we couldn't even keep up the day I moved into our second facility. It was already too small. And then, so I had to take the bay beside us and, and all these things. It was always a transition. It was always this kind of keeping up, keeping up, keeping up. Um, that was perfect timing on our side. And, and, and most entrepreneurs were like, well, why didn't you just make more? Why didn't you just take on more debt and grow a facility that is 10 times the size of what you had at the time and just go for it. And in hindsight, that would have been the right move probably. But at that time, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm an accountant deep down rooted accountant, maybe I'm taking the precautions and taking it more uh, conservatively through the navigating that risk, right? Like I didn't want to get over leveraged. I didn't want to take on new investors. I didn't want to take on venture capitalist money. I didn't want to do those things. I wanted to run a business as if I didn't have any support um, outside of say conventional financing. And even then we didn't even take an conventional financing until the fourth year. So we kind of ran this very lean machine that grew slowly, but fast in my world. And we're only in Western Canada. And that's kind of weird to say, well, we're in all of Western Canada. But if I said that six years ago, I would have thought that was absolutely bananas. Like that's an insane amount of product. That's an insane amount of production. That'd be the dream, right? So we've hit that dream. We've hit that goal. We've surpassed that goal by, my wildest expectations, but now I don't think we're actually anywhere. <laughs> that makes sense. So uh, long story short, we're in retailers all across Western Canada and the Save on Foods, Safeway, the big shops, the small shops, the coffee shops, we're all over the place, but I don't feel like we're anywhere. That makes sense. We're in over five or 600, I think we're 620 locations right now, um, including the closed restaurants, I guess. But um, that's the uh, forest through the trees sometimes. It's yeah, really like, hard to uh, see it when you're in it. So It's hard to see it when you're in it. And then when you're out of it, you're like, well, that's not enough. I want all of Canada. And so, I mean, that's the entrepreneur kind of brain is like, well, I'm here. And if I'm not growing, I'm dying is the old adage. And I, I, I really don't like that, but it's kind of true. It's it's if you're not growing, you're dying because you you get bored or you just don't put the energy into it because it's just it's just working, right? And when things are working, things kind of, um, 
get skipped or lost or whatever, and then things start slowing down and nobody's there to pick up the pieces. You, you always want to have that tension. I always kind of work on a, I don't want too much stress, but I don't want to have it too easy. I want to work on that tension between what we're capable of doing and, and, and what we are doing. Right. And so we kind of pushing the limits to a boundary that isn't outside of our realm and outside of what we can accomplish or what we can actually physically produce but it's inside the realm of like, if we can do this, then we're growing at a very massive rate and we're happy to do it. That's the goal. Yeah, I mean, that was the plan pre-pandemic and the pandemic kind of put a wrench into the whole growth plan, but we'll get there. We're, yeah, we're, if you're not waking up a little bit uneasy as an entrepreneur, I think you're you're missing something, right? You gotta be a little scared every morning, so. 100%, 100%. What, uh, looking back on this now, and I mean, you, you hinted on a few things, but you've scaled a business, you've created a product. Um, there's, I mean, those are two major things that a lot of people during the pandemic are, are, are pursuing the odd little passion. They're needing to pick up a side gig. I've got friends doing it all over the place and they're turning these little one once upon a time passions to a mini business, scaling it, very artisan, a lot of these. I mean, any any little tidbits for, for that crowd to how to get from your homebrew, what did you say those size of those first uh, jugs were, yeah. to now this scaled out product i mean any any little tips and tricks you could pass along um just ride the wave is basically what i've learned and it's a hard thing to do like surfing is not an easy thing using that mental using that metaphor right surfing is a very hard thing and if you ever if you anybody's ever surfed is like 90 percent of it is paddling out to the waves right and that's the hardest part well that's not it's one of many hard parts but getting out to the wave is like piece one right and then okay, now I've got to time it to catch that wave. And then I've got to actually ride that wave. And then I've got to do it all over again, rinse and repeat. And so in the entrepreneurial world, um, what I didn't know is that the ups and downs are so dramatic. Like one day you're like, I'm on top of the world. We're, we're, we're just the most amazing company, humbly the most amazing company, right? And then the next day you're like, we're going to be bankrupt and let's just shut the doors and give it to the bank, right? And I, that can happen on a daily basis and that can happen on a monthly basis or a weekly basis. But what it's hard to do is recognize those things. And trust me, like even yesterday and the day before I went through a deep, one of the down phases of being like, oh, well, we lost a long story, but we lost a potential um, uh, massive retailer due to pricing out of our control, but I was like, well, crap, if they're doing it, then is everybody else going to drop us? And then you kind of have this like doomsday kind of mentality and you're like, oh my God, I'm gonna have to go get a job. I'm gonna have to go like, right? I'm gonna have to shut the doors down. And, and that's, it's not gonna happen, but that's what entrepreneurs go through. You go through these like ebbs and flows of this, this massive wave. And what you gotta do is just understand that when you're at the bottom, the only way is up. And when you're at the up, you know that the bottom's gonna come. <laughs> Right, the down's gonna come and the up's gonna come. You never stay at the top and you never stay at the bottom, and you just gotta grind it out. And that's the only thing I can say is like, as an entrepreneur, is just like ride the wave, grind it out. It'll get better, but it will also get worse. And it'll get better, but it will also get worse. So just recognizing the fact that there's a dichotomy of the ups and downs. It's never gravy, but it's never um, vinegar either. It's just it's always going to be up and down, and you just gotta ride it. There's never an in-between. Yeah, that's that's an amazing, it's amazing piece. Have you found any ways that you and your wife have just been able to to to, to keep somewhat 
even on this. I mean, as much as we're throwing ups and downs, any resources, any books, any like podcasts you like to follow, people that are just good at getting you back grounded to manage this crazy life of entrepreneurship that you could sh uh, give a shout out to or we could pass on to the listeners? Um, I recommend talking to other entrepreneurs. That's definitely the one place is like, I was even talking about just starting up a entrepreneur, I don't want to, what do you want to call it? Clubhouse where you just go and you just bitch and you talk about the pitfalls and the positives too, but really it's a bitch session to understand. Like I have uh, our friends at Rosso Coffee Roasters are good buddies, Dave and Jess um, and Cole there. Whenever I hang out with them, we just talk about the shit that being an entrepreneur is. And we sit back and we laugh about it. We're like, what, what the, why are we doing this? Like, what, what is the ultimate goal? Like none of us are making any money. I'm making less money than I ever could if I was in the, um, Corporate world. Corporate world, right? Like, yeah. and I don't have benefits. I don't have job security. I don't have anything. But at the end of the day, it's like, well, I wouldn't want to do that anyways. Like, once you've seen the world of whatever effort you put in is the reward you get, um, it's hard to go back to putting in effort for somebody else's reward. Um, and that's just the reality. And, and some people do it, and some people don't want to be that risk taker. They want to keep it simple, and they want to keep it conservative and they want to keep that simple paycheck coming in and 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 I, there's no judgment there because some days a lot of days I sit there and I wish I had that right but then when I got to stay home with with my 11 month old till 10 o'clock because you know he's sick or something like that I can do that it makes it all worth its while when I have the flexibility I have nobody to I'm only disappointing myself because I'm not getting the work done that I needed to get done and so I just catch up or whatever it is right and so at the end of the day, I, I, I just, I, I think entrepreneurs need to talk more specifically in this pandemic. Like um, I know there's a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of everyone really is just kind of isolated and think, think that their business or their situation is the, is only happening to them. It's right. I, it happens to me daily where I'm like, Jesus, I just wish that we could just sell more product or, or, you know, whatever it is. But then you sit back and I'm like, well, shit, everybody's in the same position. Um, we're not even remotely as bad as it could be. Like everybody asks how's, how's things are true. I'm like, well, shit, it could be way worse. Like I feel yeah. for those restaurant owners, um, the gyms, all those guys that keep getting shut down and open and shut down. Like we can't even handle um, just the ebbs and the flows of, of purchase orders where let alone having to shut down the shop and the operation for an extended amount of time. And you have no idea how long that's going to be. Right. Um, yeah. So I think, I think my recommendation just as an entrepreneur, just, just to find support and find a group that you can talk to doing the same thing and to know that the hell that you're going through or what the hell you feel like you're going through, everybody's going through it at least somewhere in the world right now and or is going through it currently and you guys can navigate it together. 
Yeah, I agree. I've spent some time in like EO. I don't know if you probably have friends that have been in the entrepreneurs organization. And I mean, those were some of the best years because as you're growing and, and, and developing, I mean, you need that. And uh, I mean, whether it's you run a business or you're just an employee and you just need to, again, have a group of folks to get through that. I appreciate that advice because, yeah, I mean, it, it, we're isolated, but it's, this is the time to lean in. It's a big reason why our agents at our brokerage this year had our best year ever, despite all this, is they, they leaned into each other. They didn't just go running for the hills and turn. They, they supported and redirected each other rather than just, you know, scattered. And I mean, super grateful for that. Yeah, and now I think a I lot were, of people are focusing on their mental health, right? Like that was one of the things that happened in our pandemic was our group here, we did a bunch of uh, fitness challenges where we're doing, uh, started off with 30 burpees a day for 30 days. And then by the time you got to the end of 30 days, you're doing 60 burpees a day. Now everybody's just doing burpees every day and doing all these things that, you know, staying fit, staying active. And my whole thing um, with my wife and I is movement, right? Instead of working out once a day, for an hour, we, we try to move. So you go for uh, you do 10 burpees and go back to work or you go and, and you, you go for a 20 minute walk and then you go back to work. Like instead of doing it all in one chunk, you're, you're moving your body all day. So then that, that gets that engine, not so um, slow, I guess, molasses. It, it, it keeps things all viscous, right? And it, it keeps going and going. And then the meditation, all these things that everybody's kind of pushing and not pushing, pushing for the good reasons. Like you see meditation apps advertised everywhere, right? Um, that's one thing Louise and I have been doing is meditating. I've been doing it for eight years straight. So it's like these little things that you don't think they're doing the right job or you can't see the immediate impact. But when a pandemic comes along, you're like, oh, this is where, or even like even the even just negative things that happen in life or in your business is that these are the things that keep you stable, keep you in line and keep you grounded to then be the best you could be while you're you're at your desk or you're at your home with your family, right? Um, it's like the little things that people are missing, I think, is is those little those little things, the micro habits that are going to have a massive impact on your day-to-day life, specifically in a pandemic. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and it's hard to have that patience to to see that through. But you're right. I mean, we're we're in a bit of a groundhog day situation. If you're gonna test yourself a little bit with that, like now's a good time to try to stack a couple of those habits on and and, and to just run with it and just let it run its course and you'll see those dividends long term. I love you shared that. Now what's next for you guys? I mean, if I got two questions kind of finish you off and then let you get back to your busy day and manage those POs and all that other stuff. Um, but like what's next for your company and, and, and how do you guys want to see yourselves? If you go five years out, like 10 years out, what kind of legacy are you trying to create? Uh, that's always a good question. We we're just talking about that this morning, trying to understand, you know, we had a short sight of where we would be. Um, we're not there. Obviously, the pandemic put a, a hold on all that kind of growth plans, right? So we thought, and then we're positive at the Q4 of 2020. We're like, okay, 2021, we'll get back to normal. and We'll, 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 we'll get back to our original growth plan and, and get there, right? And we don't see 2021 doing anything different than 2020, in my opinion, um, just with the variants of the strains coming through and the vaccines and you know, all the what ifs and in, in the, the kind of things up in the air right now. So our goal is to continue to do what we're doing, very focused, very, and very focused on just 
our core kombucha. I know a lot of CPG brands right now would be struggling and be like, well, I need to find shelf space. I need a new SKU. I need a new product line. I need to do something differently because sales are stagnant. And, and the way I look at it is there's something that we're, we're really good at this one thing. And if I bring in another product line that might be completely different, not kombucha, but maybe something fermented or, or even different, it doesn't matter. Then it takes away from our core product line. And so what I want to do is, as a future five, 10 years is, is be the best damn kombucha brewer we can be with the flavors and, and the community support and the community give back that we can. And yeah, there might be some deviations of some products we want to try or just give it, um, give a shot at, but I don't think today's the day. I think, I think we need to be more established. We need to be more stable. We need to understand where our next sales are going um, long-term before we can actually introduce those things. And then, and in the relationships with the retailers, right? Like I'm trying to get in the door with a retailer. I can't be throwing them five different product lines. Like kombucha has to be its core thing and then, you know, work off that relationship and then sell them say, Hey, you know, kombucha is killing it. What if we tried true X, whatever that is, it's not, might not be kombucha, but it might be another beverage or even an energy bar, whatever. It doesn't matter what it is, but to keep that rolling and have, have the core kombucha be what really drives this company. And we just focus our energy on that. And I think the five, five, 10 year plan is that we will have other products, but our core piece will still be that kombucha thing. Because like I said, I think only in America, I know a stat in America, specifically in California, I think 25% of people in California know what kombucha is. So that means maybe 15% in Canada knows what it is, right? So, yeah, because um, Californians are always way ahead of the curve on understanding and adoption yeah. of new products. Especially health and nutrition, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so and there's, all the bad still, stuff, there's still, whatever, 85% of the population that we haven't even acknowledged or they've acknowledged us, right? Or gotten our product out to them. And so there's a lot of stuff to be done. And, and, you know, I'm not, entrepreneurs aren't patient. I need to learn a little bit of patience and humility and sit back and say, you know, big brands, like you always see these amazing stories on, on news headlines. It's like so-and-so sold for $5.5 billion and you think they're an overnight success. Well, if you actually look at their backstory, they spent 20 years making that product, right? And it happens all the time. Like there's a product out in Quebec that was a, a natural energy drink. And we're like, oh my God, these guys came out of nowhere and sold for a billion dollars. I can't remember the numbers, but then we look back in the backstory. It's like, they've been making this energy drink for 15 years. And we're like, oh, so we just got to, you know, just put in our time and, and settle down and not be stressed about it. And then, and don't get me wrong, I stress about it, but I need to kind of sit back and you know, journal, talk about it, talk to myself about it, talk to my partners about it, what we're going to do. And, and it is what it is. Like, there's nothing we can change in today's world. Um, we can't throw any more money at it unless we want to buy a Super Bowl ad or something like that. But that's outside of our realm of possibilities. So we kind of have to just continue to stay on the course and hope that our product and our community initiatives and our brand sell ourselves. And, and that's all we can ask for, really. And I, I just hope that customers continue to support us um, the way we support them. I mean, I, 
I love that you guys had that awareness to understand that because the easy button, I think, in entrepreneurship is to get a bit squirrely and start to try to go a bunch of different directions, especially when we're thrown this continued pandemic. Um, if anything, I learned, I, we interviewed our top 10 agents just uh, this week. And the conversation was, why did they succeed? And it's as they focused deeper on what they already knew versus just scattering it and just getting panicked and trying a whole bunch of little things. Cause as you know, it, that takes a while, a while to get the results. So thanks for sharing that. Cause I think a lot of entrepreneurs need to hear that is just stay the course, get hyper-focused, even maybe even get better at your core craft. And maybe this year isn't the year. Some businesses are going to go through the roof this year because maybe they're a little bit more perfectly set up for life in the pandemic, but um, not all are. And I love that you shared that. And, uh, and that's great. Where do people follow your guys' journey? Where do people stay kind of most present and support you guys? Where do you like to point people? Um, our website has a lot of stuff, but we, our social media, everybody's on Instagram. Um, that's mainly where we do a lot of our marketing and all that is basically on Instagram to understand what's going on, uh, what we're doing. But I mean, at the end of the day, um, we don't really talk about our initiatives behind, on, on those platforms either, right? It's, it's, it's sad. And maybe that's this taking a takeaway from this conversation is maybe we should focus more on what we're doing in the community. I mean, obviously in the pandemic, a lot of that stuff's been put on hold. Uh, a lot of funds we've had to not be able to provide to these um, not-for-profits, which is, that's a sad story of the pandemic too, is that everybody's kind of hoarding, you know, they want to make sure that their core is good, their business or their household is is safe before then they can, they can um, support other initiatives and not-for-profits, right? And we're not the exception. We're we're still doing the same things. We're 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 supporting Meal Share and you know Triera and Arcs and just in in what we can, but not like how we used to, right? And so, um, with that being said, there's not too much going on other than us trying to engage people on social media, trying to engage people, trying to do giveaways, trying to get, entice people to come to the website to order online and to buy at our retailers and stuff like that, but it's tough in a pandemic. It's tough to, to talk to your customers when you can't even talk to your family. You can't even talk to your grandma or your parents, right? Like it's uh, in person at least, right? It's really tough. And so um, we're not the only ones feeling the same kind of situation where you can't actually talk to your customer. You can't engage with them the way you used to. Um, so we're all just trying new, new initiatives like we're doing with that spud uh, giveaway thing, right? Well, I took a lot more time than uh, I thought I would. Thank you so much for spending all of this with us and sharing your guys' journey. Um, I hope I hope it was fun for you. Um, uh, I was excited to talk to you guys because I know we're a fan as a family of your guys' company and uh, of how you guys operate it. And it's great to finally connect. So thanks so much for being on the show. Awesome, Darren. Appreciate it. Awesome. Well, that was another Live Love Local podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. Go support True Boosh. Uh, I know I will. Root beer is my favorite, by the way. Um, do you have a favorite? Uh, ginger is my favorite, but ginger's always been my favorite. I'm a, I mean, that's how it all started, right? It was with ginger, and it's the most popular type of kombucha in all categories, all brands. Um, but root beer is my second, for sure.
There you go. Yeah, my little one, my seven-year-old has a few gut issues as well. So he's uh, he's root beer before every meal, just a little bit. So awesome. he loves awesome. it. Yeah. Well, thanks. Have a fantastic day. And uh, for all of you listening, I can't wait to talk to you next time.